going to be talking about John chapter 9, where Jesus heals the blind man. And if I had to title this uh, lesson, I would title it, The Power and Perspective of God. You know, Aaron mentioned that we were in uh, a place called Kiowa, which is one of our favorite places in the world. We've been going there for now more than a decade. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to that part of the world, but they have a very uh, changing tide. The tide changes there more than it does in a lot of other places, and it's a very strong tide. And uh, we had the privilege of having out back kayaks, so we could go out and kayak on the Kiowa River. And uh, there was one day that I was going to do this for exercise, so I picked a really kind of difficult time and uh, went out there by myself. And I was I was going to go down as far as I could go one direction, and I. I knew that I was starting out into the wind, but down current. And like I said, these currents are strong, and they move fast. And I went down, and you know it was pretty difficult because it was into the wind, uh, but it was down current. So I kind of booked along and just kept going. I felt really good about myself. And then I got way down there, farther than I'd ever been, and I turned around. And when I did, the wind kind of started shifting on me, and I was going back into the current. And oh, my goodness. That was so difficult. I was just, I was paddling and paddling, and I would look over, and I had these landmarks next to me, and I'd paddle for what seemed like, I don't know, a few minutes, and I'd be at the exact same spot. And I'd look up, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, how far I went. And it took forever to get back. It was just incredibly difficult. And this little kayak in this, you know, this Kiowa River going against this tide, and as I was coming back, I had plenty of time And I was thinking about this lesson tonight and the power and the perspective of God. And I started just thinking to myself, you know, how incredible is the power of God? Just think about this one little small river in this small place, this nine-mile island of Kiowa Island. And yet so incredibly powerful. I mean, every day I was kind of worried when we would take the kids down there and, you know, I'd always have to check the currents and... Oh my goodness, we had some uh, company over one night, and they had young kids, and you know, Aaron and I, we were just, we may have just been overprotective parents, because we would have just, we would have never let our kids run out on that dock, and it didn't have really good handrails on it, and these little kids, two years old, just running up and down this dock, and the water is black as can be, and it's running the current as fast as you can run, so if the child would have fallen down in there, he would have just been gone, and, uh, but it didn't seem to bother them at all, and to show you how difficult it was, we had someone else over a couple of nights later, and we're out there on the dock, and it's Matt Weinbrenner. You guys probably know Matt. He's been in class before. And he's out there, and he's going to go paddle boarding with William. And he takes his keys, and he sets them down on the uh, top of where we keep the life jackets. And about the time he sets them down, William opens up that deal to get his life jacket out. And what do you think happens? The keys go into this black water, and they had to have their car towed away from our house, by the way. Uh, cost them about 500 bucks just to come visit us. It's not that easy to get somebody to come tow a car from Kiwa Island to Charleston, South Carolina. But anyway, as I'm, as I'm going back against this current, I'm just thinking about the, the power of God. You know, just incredible if you think about the fact that he controls all the oceans, right? All the tides all over the world. And yet this one tide that is giving me so much trouble, okay, he controls that too. And not only does he control that one small tide out of all the tides and all the oceans in the world, somehow he's also concerned about me. 
this little guy on this little six-foot kayak that's fighting like crazy against this tide, he cares about me. You know, and I just started thinking about that. How unbelievable is it that this almighty, all-powerful God, because when you think about it in the world, right, most of the time the most powerful people probably are the ones you would think would care the least. You know, they're probably the ones that maybe it's just, you know, kind of beneath them. They're not really thinking about the small things or the small people. But think about God, all-powerful, controlling everything, controlling not only that river but all the rivers, and yet he still cares and loves me, still hears my prayers, and I had a lot of them going up, like, God, please let me at least make it back to the, to the dock where I can get off. He cares about me. And we see some of that tonight in John chapter 9, the power and the perspective of God. Now, it's going to be easy for you to see the power of God in this, in this text, in this scripture. You see, this is the story of Jesus healing, as I said, the blind man. And you'll see in the story that Jesus, when he does this, he takes some, some dirt and he basically spits in that dirt. And then he puts it on the guy's eyes and he tells him to go wash off this dirt. And when he does, he could see in an instant. In fact, nobody believed it. Uh, everybody doubted it. In fact, at one time they say the, the man that was healed said, nobody's ever seen a man that was blind healed since the beginning of time. Just the power of God at work, the power of God at work. And not only that, maybe even something greater than the power to heal physically, we see in this story the power to heal spiritually. You know, Neil talked a little bit about it tonight, just to, and Jared as well, about the power of God to overcome death. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to, to give you sight, but it's another one to give you eternal life. The power of God, there's nothing more powerful than God conquering death on our behalf so that we too can conquer death, right? So we can see in this scripture very easily the power of God. But we're also going to get to see some insight into the perspective of God. And that's really where I'm going to spend most of my time whenever I go through this scripture is on the perspectives of God. See, God's power is, is plain in sight. When you read this scripture, you're going to see power over the physical and you're going to see power over the spiritual. But we're also, like I said, going to get some insight into the perspective of God, how he views things, how he views us, okay? In particular, how he views you and how he views me. And if we look at this, in this chapter 9, um, Jesus in chapter 8, if you went back and read it, you would see he's in the temple and he's teaching. He's basically uh, having a discussion with the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees about whether or not he is God. They're questioning the divinity, the deity, if you will, of Jesus. And it says at the end of that, as he's been talking to them, that they picked up stones to stone him. And when they did that, he left. So he left the temple. And as he's leaving the temple, he sees this blind man, probably sitting somewhere outside of the temple. You know, and, and, and one of the great things about this story is that I think uh, some of us can relate to at least one of the characters, if you will, in this story. I, I would say if you're a Christian, you certainly should be able to relate to Jesus because we're going to see in this story that Jesus is basically serving. He's meeting a need, trying to bring people to God. So if you're a Christian, you should relate to Jesus. That's really kind of our job in life, right, is to, to serve others and to bring them to God. Uh, I would say that the Pharisees in this and, and even his neighbors, presumably people that might even have been his friends, certainly people that knew him, that were doubting God, 
We're going to see that a big chunk of this this chapter is discussion of people doubting God. And I would think that probably all of us at some point in our life probably would say that we've doubted God. We'd probably be lying if you didn't. I know that I have. I know there's times that I doubt God. And then I would also say that there's probably most people at some point in their life could relate to the blind man, you know, that has a need in their life. You know, maybe a physical need, maybe a spiritual need, but you have some kind of need in your life and you need God to show up and meet that need. Or it may be that there's somebody here that has a spiritual need. This blind man had both. He had a spiritual need. He didn't know God, didn't know Jesus as his Savior, had a need. You know, no telling how long this blind man had been sitting here and how many people that had walked by. And here in this story, Jesus, he stops. So let's take a look. I'm going to read the chapter, give you a little bit of commentary as we go through it. I once saw Francis Chan do a whole sermon where all he did is read chapter after chapter out of the Bible. It was really actually incredible just to see the Word of God speak. So it's a long chapter. Um, I may need some water, but I'm going to read the whole chapter, give you a little bit of commentary as we go through, and then we're going to talk about really the perspective of God. So here we go. In verse 1, chapter 9, It says, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. This is one of the seven I am statements. And you heard Neil talk about it tonight a little bit about the great I am. And if you went back up and looked in chapter 8 and verse 58, you'll see there right before they started to stone him, they say, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was I am. Yahweh, this is Jesus basically making the affirmative statement that I am God, that I am God. I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So if you were going to go do a little studying on your own, you could spend a lot of time on these couple of verses. There's a ton of symbolism that's in this. And, you know, I I didn't spend a lot of time putting this in in my lesson, but I wanted to at least mention it so that you could go back. Like one of the things that a lot of scholars talk about is just the fact that the symbolism around the spit, Jesus' saliva, and, and the dirt, the mud that he used to, to, to put together representing the, the deity of God, the divinity of God, and, and man, man that came from dust, and that this is representative of the Son of Man. So you could do a lot of studying about that. You could also study quite a bit about this pool that he went to wash in. This is the same pool where they got the water that they used uh, for the great altar in the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles is one of the seven feasts of the Israelites to remind them of the deliverance that they received by God. And in this one is this Feast of the Tabernacles, which lasts from a Sabbath day to a Sabbath day. During this feast, it's really for them to present themselves before God. And a lot of symbolism about, 
you know, him telling him to go wash in this particular pool, if you will, to go stand before the presence of God, to send you to stand before the presence of God. You'll also read a lot of commentary and scholars that talk about just the faith that it took for him to go, to go do that. He was responding in faith and, and going to actually do what Jesus said and believing in him. This was the first step of believing is what some would say. But so he takes this mud, puts it on his eyes, goes, tells them to wash, comes back, and now he can see. And then for the next 26 verses, we're going to see this kind of almost comical exchange of people that are doubting him, his neighbors and the Pharisees, and to some degree his own family. So it says there in verse 8, it says, The neighbors and those who had, had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some says it is. Some said it is he. Others says no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am him. I'm the man. Why don't you believe me? So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, this, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Salem and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. So they were going to take him to to the smart guys, the one that should know everything. So now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division. Very interesting. And there was a division. This is, you wonder why this was put there. Why, um, why was, did God want that one sentence there? There was a division. So obviously, whenever they're debating this among the Pharisees, some actually were questioning, were wondering, maybe this is God. You know, and it's funny that when we're going to read the rest of this, we never hear any longer from those people. You know, I wonder what happened those guys that stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, maybe you guys are wrong. Maybe, maybe he is God. Maybe we're missing out here. Maybe we're getting this wrong. I wonder what happened to them. You know, they really had a, I mean, this could have turned out much differently, right? Especially for the Pharisees, maybe if they would have made a stand. Maybe if they would have stood up and, and really boldly proclaimed what they were believing and what was coming upon their heart. And I started thinking to myself, you know, did you ever think that in the U.S., in America, there'd be so many opportunities that we would have as Christians to do this, to, stay, to put a stake in the ground, basically. I mean, it just happens over and over again. I mean, I'm, just, I'm shocked. I mean, honestly, in the last few years or so, it just seems like, I remember even in this class, we would talk about it when we first started this class about how it's coming. It's coming. There's going to be times when you're going to be persecuted. There's going to be times where it's not going to be cool to be a Jesus lover. And I mean, just like that, it seems like, you know, just how... Uh, the division in the world over this. It's just amazing just the hatred that really comes out of people when you talk, start talking about Jesus. So I just started wondering, like, what would have happened if they would have maybe made a stand? You know, what could we learn from that? So then there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So he just thought he was a prophet. Someone that proclaims the word of God. That's what a prophet was. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. They doubted him until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how, we now, how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said, that these, said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they were basically, you know, you're on your own, son. Go take care of yourself. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That is just such a great verse, isn't it? I mean, such a great reminder of just the power of your story. That's all he's really doing is giving my story. He's like, listen, I have no idea. All I know that I was blind, and now I see. They said to him, what... Did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, okay? And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples, to become his disciples? I mean, he's kind of like sarcastically saying, okay, what, do you like him? And what is going on here? You want to be his disciple or what? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. Well, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you will teach us. And they cast him out. And Jesus said, heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And then Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. You know, and that's a, that can be a confusing term because I'm sure that we're all familiar with other scripture like John three seventeen or or John twelve forty seven, where it says that, that Jesus says, I did not come to the world to judge, right? But to save. Well, in those other places, that word judge really more relates to the word condemn. I did not come into the world to condemn, but to save. Here, what he's talking about, what Jesus is saying is, is for judgment I came into this world. That judgment that he's talking about here is more of a dividing line. I saw one commentary that talked of it like the continental divide. Does anybody know what the, the continental divide is? On one side of it, water flows this way, and on the other side, water flows this way. And, and this, I came for judgment, really is meaning that, listen, what I do is you have to stake a ground. You're going to go one way or the other. You're either for me or you're against me. We see this over in Matthew, right, where we saw that, that son will come against father and daughter against mother. You're going to have to make a decision is what he's saying. I, I came to put you to the test. I love Billy Graham says the cross demands a decision. You either got to be before it or for it or against it. And that's really what Jesus is saying is for judgment I came into this world that those who did not see may see and those who see may become blind. What he's really saying is here is that those who do not see meaning that you're humble really what he's saying for those who are humble may see and those who may see become blind those that are full of pride 
Okay, they think they know it all. He's talking specifically to the Pharisees here. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Just pride got in their way. They missed a great opportunity to see the power of God, to see the power and the perspective of God, because pride just wouldn't let them believe like the the blind man had believed. So let's now look back. I want us to to kind of go back through the text, and I want to to look at some of the perspectives of God. And I've got a handout here that, that you can fill in some blanks. The first perspective of God that I want us to think about is Jesus cares about you. He cares about you. If you look there in the first verse when it says, as he passed by, he saw... A blind man. That word saw, if you really look at the meaning of that word saw, it's not like I see the homeless guy that's on the street corner begging when I go home and drive past the light there turning on the Northwest Highway. No, this is a, this, this word here means that he, he longed for him. He cared for him. He wanted to, to help him. He saw a need and wanted to meet that need. He cared about him. He cared about him. That is such a comforting thing for me to remember is that, that God, that Jesus cares about me. I mean, because if you think about it, you know, Jesus had three short years here on earth, right, for his ministry. He could have been like the typical, you know, mega church pastor of today. He could have been, I'm only going to preach to the big crowds. I'm only going to, I want to maximize the people that hear my voice. But no, that's really not the way it was, was it? Jesus always cared about the one. He always cared about the one. He'd been debating with the scholars in the temple. He comes out. He sees this one individual. He cares about him. There's just something about that that's really comforting to me is to remember God cares about me. He controls the whole world. He controls that Kiowa River, but he cares about me. The second thing, the second perspective of God that I want us to remember is that God doesn't see the sin. He sees the potential. I just love this. If you look there in the verse 2, what do the disciples say? They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, obviously in this time, in this day and age, uh, a lot of people and believed in the generational curse, generational strongholds. Jared talked about strongholds tonight. Aaron would tell you that this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Okay, I don't really like it when I hear people that tend to rely on the whole generational curse, the generational stronghold. I don't really believe in it, okay? If Jesus did anything, if Jesus' death, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection meant anything, it meant that those generational curses and strongholds are gone, all right? That song sang about it tonight, the song that we sang, Victor's Crown, says that the strongholds are broken. Not they're going to be broken. They're broken. We have power over that. Jesus died on a cross so that, so that we don't have to live with that stronghold, with that curse in our life. But that's what they see. That's what the disciples see. That's, that's the first thing that comes to their mind when they see this poor blind beggar is, well, what did he do wrong? Well, what's wrong with him? But what does Jesus see? What does Jesus say? He says, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but, the work, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that awesome? God saw the potential. 
I just love that. For some reason, that one phrase just, just hit me so hard when I was preparing for this, that the works of God might be displayed in him. And why? Because you know what it just tells me? No matter what your circumstance is, no matter what your need in life is, no matter how bad times might be, God sees the potential. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life, right? He sees you right where you're at, baggage and all, and all he sees is what you can be. So the, so the worst of God might be displayed in him. I mean, that's just a powerful promise from God, you know, because it's so easy, right, for us to, to get focused on on life and the difficulties of life and whatever it is we might be going through. But now Jesus sees the promise. Maybe we should also, right? I mean, I think that's 90% of the battle, right? Stop looking down, start looking up, and maybe looking forward. What God's got in store. God, Jesus sees the promise. He's where we're going. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody around you limit you or try to define you. Okay, don't let what others might say or do ever somehow limit what you can be for God, what he can do with your circumstance. I mean, if Jesus wouldn't have been here, what in the world would have happened to this blind beggar when the disciples walked up? Just condemnation? What's wrong with him? What did he do wrong? No. This is what he's going to do. That's what we're going to do through him. That's what's important. Never let anybody limit you. But there are always going to be doubters, right? There's always going to be doubters. There were doubters here like crazy, doubted by the Pharisees, doubted by his neighbors, even really by his parents. You know, and if we're honest, I would say that even, like I said, sometimes we're doubters, especially when, when maybe you're praying for something, you're in a tough spot, you know, you, you, you have a need that's unmet, at least in your mind. You start doubting God, right? You pray and nothing's happening. Ever, anybody ever been there? Ever felt that way? I know I have. You know, just wondering, just doubting. Easy to do that, isn't it? You know, it's a hard thing. I, you know, when I talk to people, when I get this, you know, I'm praying, Scott, I'm, I have faith, I believe, and yet, you know, what's happening? My circumstance isn't changing. That's a hard thing to answer. It's a hard thing to answer. All I can say is, you know, don't doubt God. Just don't doubt God. Hebrews 13 eight. what does it say? That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that healed this man's vision can take care of whatever need you have in life. So don't doubt God. I saw where uh, Stephen Furtick wrote a, uh, quote recently and he said that the only thing that can stop the power of God is your unbelief so believe it doesn't mean though that we have all the answers right that's a hard thing too sometimes when you're going through a difficult time doesn't mean we don't ha- we have all the answers this blind man didn't have all the answers that's one of the reasons I like that that verse where he says whether he is a sinner I do not know one thing I know that though I was blind now I see you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to figure out why God's working and why God's not working. You don't have to know everything. Blind man didn't know everything. All he knew is that God showed up in his point of need. Helped him. Saved him. So you don't have to know everything. You know, I, uh, 
I was watching this movie I talked about before, God's Not Dead 2, and on that, in that movie, there was a great quote by this Pat Boone who plays this character. He says, you know, the thing about people that don't believe is it doesn't take away the pain, it just takes away the hope. Man, that's, that's so true, isn't it? I mean, for those people that don't really believe in Jesus, don't believe in God, don't believe he's going to show up, maybe doubting God, it's not going to make it any different. It just takes away the hope. So I know in my own life, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, but the one thing that I do know is this. In Christ, there's always hope. There's always hope. And that leads me to the perspective number three. God knows that spiritual healing is way more important than physical healing. He knows that spiritual healing is way more important than physical healing. I mean, in fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says, what is it, man, profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, Right? I mean, I would think, I think what Jesus is saying there at the end of this chapter is, is he's basically making that point. He's like, you know, you remember back when uh, the four guys brought their friend through the roof to Jesus? And remember uh, when Jesus sees him and they bring him there to get healed physically? What's the first thing he does? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody looks at him like, well, what in the world is this, this guy doing? I mean, first of all, they were wondering how he could forgive sins. But do you know they were all thinking... Well, that's not really why we we brought him. We brought him because he can't walk, and we'd like for him to walk. So what does Jesus say? He says, you know, what do you think is more difficult, that I forgave his sins or that I would heal him and allow him to walk? And then he says, arise and walk. He's just making the point that that power over the spirituals, that's, that's way more difficult than the power of a physical for God. So I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen. Way more important than whether or not this guy was blind. That's why he goes into all of this at the end, talking about the Pharisees and making this analogy between being blind and not seeing and having pride and being humble. As he's trying to say, listen, it's great. I met this need. But way more important is your salvation. There's just no way that, that Jesus would have left this man with 2020 vision, but would have never given him the opportunity to be saved. And that's what he does when he reaches back out to him. They cast him out, but Jesus found him, came and offered him salvation, which he accepted. The greatest, the greatest gift of all, the greatest power revealed and the greatest gift received, he, he accepted and he received. And, you know, when you're really beaten down with life and when you're you know, have those needs that you don't feel are being met and you're struggling, you know, it's, again, just awful comforting to know that your eternity is set. Because one thing we know is all of this is temporary. What's permanent is eternity. I think Jesus is saying, listen, don't ever forget that. This perspective will give you great perspective in life. Okay, just remember that, that your soul is way more important. And God knows that too. So let me now give you three points of application that I think you could take out of this, this chapter. One, if you're a Christian, you should be like Jesus. I could have taught this entire chapter on this whole point, okay, of, of what Jesus do. He saw a need. He met a need. He cared for him. And what happened because he cared for him and met that need and and saw this man and reached out to him, became, gained salvation. 
You know why? Because serving and meeting needs is the greatest gateway in the world to salvation. There's no better way for you to get the opportunity to share Jesus with someone than to meet a need. Jesus just, in this whole chapter, he's just modeling that for us. All he did is meet a need, and it provided a gateway for this man to come to know him as his personal Lord and Savior. There's a quote I put on there from Charles Spurgeon. It says, We ought not to suffer any person to perish for lack of knowing the gospel. We cannot give men eyes, but we can give them the light. That's a great thing to remember. Meeting needs. If you're a Christian, to be like Jesus. And two, if you're like the Pharisees doubting God, stop it. It will get you nowhere to doubt God. It will get you nowhere. God is a big God, all-powerful, controls everything, and he cares about you. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life, and he sees, he sees the potential. And last, if you're like that blind man, don't forget the perspectives of God. Don't forget what we talked about, that he cares about you. He sees your potential, and that the spiritual is way more important than the physical. Being right with God, knowing him as your Lord and Savior, listen, That outweighs any amount of temporary hardship or needs that you could ever endure. It's the most important thing. And also, another great thing to always remember is there's just nothing. There's just nothing too hard for God. Not blindness from birth, not strongholds, nothing is too hard for God. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the way you love us. Lord, thank you that you care for us and that you see the potential for our lives. And, and Lord, thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross so that we could live forever with you. Lord, I pray that for each person in this room, Lord, I pray, God, that they would just know how much you love them. Know, Lord, that you've got a plan and a purpose for their life. And no matter what they might be going through today, Lord, I pray that they would remember that you've got purpose for them that you see the potential in their lives and that you can take whatever circumstance wherever they might find themselves you can use it for your good and for your glory and that is my prayer for us tonight in jesus name amen